This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. And we have FBG Kristen. Hey. And today, Kristen, you're kind of going to be the star of this pre-show because we're talking to your very good friend, Margaret Good, today. So tell the folks who she is and, and how you know her and uh, all that good stuff. You bet. So Margaret Good is one of the one of the first friends I made when I moved to Sarasota. And I met her through our local running community. She was a member of the Minnesota Track Club board and a really avid runner, you know, was at a lot of the same group runs. So we got to know each other and kind of just ran quote unquote for real and just for fun, like in, in the same groups. And then last year, Margaret, who has been a, an attorney for years in the, in the area, she'd been politically active kind of, you know, off to the side for, for a long time, but she decided to run for office when the state house seat was, was unexpectedly vacated so, and this was a, a really big deal because, and, you know, this is, I'm not sharing this to get into any, you know, partisan politics necessarily. I, I think it's pretty clear where I stand, but but she's a Democrat and this seat had been held by Republicans for a, a long time. So it was very exciting to see her, you know, decide to jump in. And Margaret Good is, when she's in, she's all in and everything she does, it's going to be the best whatever it is ever. You know, we hang out. It's the best weekend ever. If we're doing a race, it's the best race ever. So when she decided to do this, I think all of us were just like, okay, let's just see how this goes <laughs> because she she doesn't half-ass anything ever. So it was, it was amazing to watch. It was a huge learning curve uh, for her, for sure, but also for all of us who were there in the wings watching and supporting. And, you know, I mean, there's just so much that goes into running for any office, I'm sure, that you have no idea about. But she did an amazing job. She she ran and she won the primary. She won the special election. And um, as we get into in the interview, she jumped straight into work because that was in February that she won the special election. So she now is back and she actually has to jump right back into campaigning because um, after winning the special election, now she has to run to keep that seat in the in the November midterm elections. Yeah, she got elected in February. And then she, there's another election in November, like she only has six months. And then she has to all of a sudden, like you said, she jumped right in. And now she has to run again. I mean, it's got to be very stressful. Yeah, I would say so. But you know, she this is something that is so important to her. There are so many issues that she holds really, really near and dear to her heart. And I'm not going to say that this like kicked anything off, but after the 2016 elections, when so many of us were really shocked and dismayed, there was a group of us in this area, a bunch of women who got together and we talked about different things that we could do, different ways that we could support causes important to us. And I think we've talked about that a little bit here on the show before, you know, some different specific causes that we donated time and money to and 
ways that we got involved. So it was, you know, it wasn't really surprising to me to see that she decided to take that to the next level. But yeah, it does have to come from a place of like such conviction and such passion and such commitment because this is, you know, since last August, this more or less has been her life. And I have such incredible respect and admiration for what she's put into making this happen. And I mean, she's, it hasn't just been like that she's been committed to running for this office and winning the seat. She jumped in and she got immediately on, on the education committee and, you know, she's holding town halls. I'm actually going to, she has one tonight um, as we're recording. So I'm, I actually have plans to go to that because she really wants to hear about what's going on in her community. And I feel like this is a lot of me talking, but I, you know, she's not the only woman who kind of came from the the background and said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want to run. I want to, you know, there's change that I want to see. I need to be that change. According to NPR, there have been more than twice as many women running for Congress compared with 2016. So in 2018, the number of women running for Congress alone doubled and more. In this election cycle, more women are signing up to run for those highest elected offices. As of earlier this year, according to Politico, at least 575 women had declared their intention to run for the House, the Senate, or for governor. And then back in January, Time was saying that there was an unprecedented surge of first-time female candidates, overwhelmingly Democratic, running for offices big and small, from the U.S. Senate and state legislatures to local school boards. At least 79 women at that point were exploring runs for governor this year, and the number of Democratic women likely challenging incumbents in the U.S. House of Representatives was up nearly 350% from the 41 women in 2016. One of the organizations that Margaret mentions in this interview is Emily's List, which recruits and trains pro-choice Democratic women about running for office. And roughly 900 women had contacted Emily's List about this from 2015 to 2016. After that, get ready for this, guys. After that, more than 26,000 women have reached out about launching a campaign. Wow. And I don't know about you, but I just got chills talking about that. These are these are women who are moved to really take it into their hands to make a difference. I mean, Emily's List had to knock down a wall in its Washington office to make room for to have enough <laughs> staff to handle this. I love this news. You know, sometimes the news is not very good. I love this news that you're giving me today because it's giving me a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, Jen, I, I know that you, before we got on and started recording, you had some... Um, some thoughts on, because we did talk to Margaret a little bit about what to do if you're not like, yes, I want to run for the state house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause that's a little intense. I mean, as she talks about, which I think was, I mean, really this interview for me was so fascinating because, you know, like, I, like all of those 26,000 women, like a, I want to like high five them, but we get to go kind of in depth with Margaret who, you know, ran through that election cycle. Like what was the process like of her deciding she wanted to run? How did everyone react? And then she ran and then what's it like now to be in office? And I feel like sometimes you don't get a lot of that inside kind of like, what is your day to day? Like, like mm-hmm. that's not something that's really covered that, you know, and as 
you know, women who are looking to maybe be more of service to the government or make more of a change in the world. It's like, well, what am I really signing up here for? What is this? And I think that was just, I, I, I thought it was so cool to just hear her background and her story for that. But, you know, obviously what she did was a monumental undertaking and so badass and so cool. But I think that there's also a lot of room for women. Um, I know I've had conversations with some of my friends here in Kansas city about like, okay, well maybe, you know, that's a little, maybe a, a little too big for what I have on my plate, especially if you have like a lot of, you know, we all have a lot of responsibilities, but you know, what about like, even if you get involved on, you know, the school board and for some smaller offices, what kind of you know, opportunities, is it to hold power on, um, you know, your city council or even smaller than that, like even your PTA, mm-hmm. like there's so many ways that you can be of service and um, still make your opinion heard and make change. And I think that just like Margot, you were chiming in with, you know, this, this 26,000 number is incredibly hopeful because, it, you know, when you look at yourself and you look at your life and you look at who's representing you, on TV a lot of times or in your areas or in the House of Representatives or the Senate mm-hmm. or on your school board, you're like, none of those people are really like me, you know? Right. So it's cool to think that there's, you know, all these women that are, you know, much more like-minded that are making what is a sacrifice and doing hard work because it is, you know, all of it is has been set up for a lot of old white men, let's be honest, Mm -hmm. you know, and to have that change is just a huge shift. It's so cool. And she also gives advice. I mean, I'm kind of a shy person. I she knocked on doors and she has no problem with that. I'm I think I would be terrified to do so. But you can participate and help a candidate that you really care about from the comfort of your own home. You know, you can make calls or emails. She there's this whole uh, she talks about postcards that you can send out. It's there's lots of ways that you can get involved. You don't have there's no, I wish the world were full of Margaret Goods, but <laughs> if you're not <laughs> quite at her level of badassery, but you do want to help out that we offer advice in here. So I I think it's this is one of my favorite episodes that we've done because I really feel like there's great takeaways here. Totally agree. So we're going to get into that interview, but I just want to remind you guys, please, if you like what you hear, subscribe to the show, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We are on all the places that you get your podcast. We're on Spotify, which just blows my mind. We're on Alexa, <laughs> which is the coolest damn thing. And if you like what you hear, especially an Apple podcast, if you can leave a few stars and a review, that'd be great. And we're going to read all the five-star reviews on the air. And if you have any comments or suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us. We're at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And let Let's get into this episode. Margaret Good has a deep appreciation for Florida's rich history and natural wonder. She spent nearly every summer at her grandparent home swimming in the natural lake, visiting Florida's springs, and enjoying Florida's historic sites. Margaret's father, a fourth-generation Floridian, was an Episcopal priest, and her mother was a nurse. Together, they instilled in her strong values and a commitment to helping others and serving the community. Margaret worked in the nonprofit community before enrolling in the University of Florida Levin College of Law, where she served as editor of the Florida Law Review and graduated with honors. After law school, Margaret, her husband Richard, and their dog Barney moved to Sarasota's House District 72 and began building their lives together with a strong passion for community. Margaret serves on the board of directors for the Sarasota County Bar Association and is a leader in the Florida Bar. She's an avid runner and volunteers as a board member of the Minnesota Track Club. As an attorney and community leader, Margaret has worked with businesses, individuals, and government entities and has helped hundreds of people change their lives. 
Margaret is an active public servant who understands it's time to shake it up in Tallahassee and fight for the health care and jobs we need, the education our children deserve, and the environment we love. Margaret Good is a Democratic member of the Florida House of Representatives, representing District 72. She won a special election on February 13th, 2018. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to ask you the first question on, on the line today. We both have FPG Jen and we have FPG Kristen. And I just want to say congratulations on your victory. Can you tell our audience what got you interested in running for the seat and why you think your message resonated so much with your community? Well, I had been thinking about running for office off and on since I was a child. I used to say all the time when I was giving speeches during the special election that my mom would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I would always say I either wanted to be president of the United States or a professional baseball player. And so so this idea of being in public office and public service has been part of my psyche for a really long time, but I never really thought hard about it until the 2016 elections. And I woke up the day after the election and just and felt like I had a personal responsibility to do something about it. I felt like I should have done more to make sure that Trump didn't get elected and that it was on me to to do something about it. So I started getting more involved in our local, in the local politics. And my girlfriends and I started having a lot more conversations about what it meant to be politically active and what we can do to help move things forward. And then one thing led to another. And the woman that had held this seat for House District 72 resigned abruptly at the end of August. And some of my friends that are active in the local party um, texted me and called me and said, Margaret, you should run. And I thought about it and talked to my family and decided that this was a really good way for me to make a difference in Florida politics. And it ended up, in a, I think, in a lot of ways, we made a mark on national politics, so at least a flash in the pan. I think it really the special election win gave a lot of people a lot of hope. Yeah. I mean, it was like national news. Sure. Like I'm in Kansas City and then I like knew about it. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, I also knew about it for, you know, Kristen, everything, but still. Right. Um, <laughs> so cool. I, I'm wondering like that conversation. So you're like, okay, how, how does the thought process work? Like, I think I'm going to run. Maybe I'm going to run. Okay. I'm going to run. Okay. Now I'm going to talk to my husband and my dog and be like, all y'all on board for this. What were, what were those conversations like? And what was the conversation with yourself? Was it, was it exciting? Was it scary? How did it feel? <laughs> well, it was it was terrifying. I like it, there was just this confluence of events that happened around the time that that the woman that held the seat before me resigned. She, I found out she was resigning on my birthday, which um, was also happened also to be the day that my dad passed away. And my dad was a huge influence in my life, and really, I think, instilled in me a lot of the values and the personality traits that made me into the person I am that wants to do, you know, be in public office. So I was thinking about it in the midst of grieving for my father and, you know, all of the family stuff that goes into the death of, of a parent. And I just really felt like this was time. Also, my mother, who was a big influence in my life and a, a really good friend of mine, was able, like, I knew that she would be able to help me now because my dad, she'd been the caretaker for my dad for a lot of years. And I was like, this will give mom something to do too. (laughs) 
So, um, so I felt really sure that this was what I should do, but I did not know how it was going to feel once you filed your paperwork and became, you know, the candidate. And that opening yourself up like that was really, really scary. And it took a long time for me to feel comfortable um, in that role. Does it feel more comfortable now? Yes. I really enjoy it now. It used to be that I have public appearances scheduled and would have to really psych myself up and be like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. But now I, I, I just, I mean, it's just such important work. And, it, you know, you come, I come at it with a, trying to be as, you know, just thinking about the work that I'm doing, staying really humble because this is the work of everybody. It's not about me. And when you sort of take that, you know, people put you on this pedestal or judge you or whatever because you're the candidate. But if you can turn that around and say, this is really not about me, it's really about everybody else, it makes it a lot easier to go out in front of people and talk about important issues and talk about the, you know, the things that matter to all of us. That That's one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because, you know, when you're a politician, as opposed to just a civilian like me who can spout off about, you know, what I believe and what I think is right and really stand stand firmly there and never budge. You have to listen to your constituents and you have to represent what, you know, what your community wants. How difficult is that? Is that, is that something that you've had to work toward or is that something that was very natural and easy? Well, when I'm campaigning, I spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about the issues that I know resonate with everyone or almost everyone in Sarasota in my house district. And and then when I got to the legislature, I tried really hard to do things that furthered those issues, that dealt with those issues. And um, we in Sarasota County have some of the best public schools in the state. We're one of the best public school systems. So I talked a lot about public schools. There's a move in Florida to try to begin to privatize our public education system. And there's a lot of bad things that are happening with voucher programs and um, lack of accountability for private schools that are getting public funding. Mm -hmm. And so in Sarasota, we don't want that. We've got great public schools. We love our teachers. It's just something that everyone is proud of. So I talked a lot about that when I was campaigning and then got on the education committee um, once I was elected. And for those three weeks that I was up in Tallahassee during a legislative session, I spent a lot of time talking about the importance of public education. And the other thing that is really important to people in Sarasota is the environment because we have, you know, we live at this beach. I know Kristen posts pictures all the time. Like we live in paradise and, you know, it's up to us to protect that. And, um, and we know that. And so we spend a lot of time talking about that. It's harder when there are, more divisive issues to try to figure out where your, you know, where your constituents are, what they believe, um, and represent that. And then there's also this question about they elected you to represent them. So do you do what you believe is right, or do you do what you believe your constituents think is right? And so far, I haven't had a really hard time with that. For instance, I mean, I think the hardest part was when we were debating and um, voting on the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act, which included um, some gun legislation. And 
you know, Sarasota considered, you know, I mean, this is a Republican, the seat that I'm in right now was held by a Republican for a decade. There's a lot of people that feel strongly about, about people having guns here. I wasn't really sure how my district felt about universal background checks and banning assault weapons and banning bump stocks and raising the age of gun ownership to 21 and the things that were discussed during the legislative session. And so right after the um, shooting in Parkland, the next weekend I came home and I held a town hall and asked people for their input. And then I also look at the polls and try to figure out, okay, you know, there's something like 97% of Floridians believe that we should have universal background checks. Like besides the fact that it's just a complete no brainer, like, I brought an amendment to the Marjorie Simon Douglas Act and debated it on the floor and said, this is something everybody wants. Let's do this. And of course, it failed on party lines. But but I am constantly trying to find that that common denominator, like what do I believe is right and what do the people in my district believe is right and it's what I should do. Now, because this was a special election, you had to just jump right in and get to work. Can you tell us what those first few days were like? We were celebrating the victory at like seven thirty, eight o'clock on Tuesday night. And then Wednesday morning at 4.45 in the morning, my campaign manager and I, who, who became my legislative assistant or legislative aide for the last um, three weeks of session, we got in a car and we drove to Tallahassee. And I got there about 11.30. I was sworn in at 1.30. And it was at the same time, just moments after I was sworn in, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting happened. And so I had this sort of expectation of getting to Tallahassee and having a platform because of the special election, but everything changed in just a moment because of the shooting. And we really had to get to work and do serious, serious work during those last three weeks. And so it was a really monumental time to be in Tallahassee. And I just felt so grateful that I was there representing my district and that, that we had representation during this monumental time. And how is being a politician different than you thought it would be? I don't think I had any expectations. There's, I mean, it's, there's some really amazing things about being an elected official. I am now spending a lot of time learning about my district and going and touring the hospital and t- touring the schools and doing like just learning about all of the great things that we're doing in Sarasota and what the issues are and, and, and starting to think really hard about what I can do to help and what the legislature needs to do to not just help people in my district, but to do better for all of Florida. And that is really, really amazing work and, and really humbling work to see the, to see what people are making happen in Sarasota. But really I only thought about winning that special election we were, you know, it was a district that Trump had won by four and a half points. The woman that held the seat before had won the um, district by a significant margin. And so all I thought about from August 23rd, 2017 to February 13th, 2018 was like, how are we going to win? And I didn't even really think past that. Like, I didn't think <laughs> about the reelection. I didn't think about Tallahassee. I just thought, how, how are we going to win this? So I didn't have a lot of expectations. <laughs> <laughs> you just showed up and you're like, I'm on the job. Okay, that happened. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And it was it was so interesting, too, because we got to the point of the campaign where we had so much momentum that we were just barreling through, just doing such a good job with the campaign and, you know, felt really unstoppable. And then you get to Tallahassee and it's a completely different job. And it's just like, boom, everything, everything changes, everything stops much more bureaucracy. You can't just like rally the troops and make something happen. You have to build relationships and, you know, do all the things that you have to do to get a bill passed and get it through committees. And so it was a really interesting juxtaposition. I think a lot of people get elected in November. They don't have to start legislative session until January or March, and they have time to transition. But without that transition, it was, it was really, really interesting. So as you mentioned, you, you know, jumped in, immediately had to campaign hard, hard, hard. You had to win the primary, then you had to win the special election, then you went to work. And now you are back to having to campaign because um, there's another election this year in November. So I'm curious, what was your favorite part of campaigning since we're getting back into that? And besides winning, because I do know how much Margaret Good (laughs) loves to win. I do. I have raced with her. She really, really (laughs) likes it. But also, is there anything that you learned? I'm sure there are are things you learned in your first campaign effort that will change the way you approach it this time around. That's a good question. I have not done probably as much self reflection as I should because things have moved so fast. I got elected. I went to Tallahassee, and then as soon as I got back to Sarasota, I started working on organizing my legislative office because I have staff members on the legislative side and there's a bunch of stuff we need to do there and then started campaigning. So I have not reflected probably as much as I should, but I, the best part about campaigning is getting to talk to all of these different people and building all of these new relationships, the grassroots door knocking effort, like going door to door and talking to your neighbors and meeting them at their doorstep, there's just something so powerful about that. And it, and it was not something that I had ever done before. And I recommend it to everyone. It just changes your perspective in a completely new way. Are there any politicians that you look up to? Or is there anyone that you turn to or refer to where you're making a tough decision? So I have a really good support network. The people that worked on my campaign are awesome. I had a great, a great staff on the ground. And then I had some um, consultants and stakeholders that really helped me through the process. Um, And I often call them when I'm, when I don't know what else to do. And they have worked with candidates and then worked with people in legislature after and give me good advice. There's one group in particular called Ruthless Florida. Um, It's like, if you've heard of Emily's List, it's the Florida equivalent. They help Democratic women pro-choice get elected um, to the Florida legislature. Um, And the staff there are amazing and and point me in the right direction. And then there is another Ruthless candidate. Now she's, she's a state representative, and she was in the legislature for eight years and then took a break and then has just come back. Her name is Loran Osley. And she really took me under her, her wing when I got to Tallahassee, um, introduced me to people, helped me figure out the ins and outs and who was who. And, um, and is also a triathlete. 
And so we ran together and, and just spent a lot of time together. And it was so nice to have somebody that you saw eye to eye with. Obviously your, your schedule is a little, a little hectic, a little crazy, a little full. What I know you just mentioned running and some supportive people in your life. What would you consider your self-care practice to be, to be now? One of the worst things about campaigning and being a legislator is that you don't have nearly as much time for yourself or your friends. And um, I miss my friends dearly. We, as Kristen can attest, I mean, used to have a lot of fun always running races together and for morning runs on the beach and sunsets. And I do a lot less of that now. and That makes me sad, but it's worth it. It's worth the trade-off. So during the special election campaign, I did not do very much. I tried to keep up with running and it just, it just, the campaign just took over my life. But as soon as I got to Tallahassee, I started trying to get back into a routine. So I ran somewhat when I was up there. And now that I'm home, I am running, doing, this week was good. I went running. I did two days of high intensity interval training and did yoga. And so I try to, I try to find an hour a day to do something worthwhile. And then my husband and I have a pedicab which is like, uh, what is it like, Kristen? Um, uh, like a rickshaw. It's like mm, a rickshaw. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And he gave it to me for my birthday a couple of years ago. It's like painted pink and it's motorized, but it looks like a bike. And we live out on Siesta Key. And so we try at least once a week to take our pedicab out with our dog. And he pedals it, not really, but he looks like he's pedaling it. And I sit in the back with with our dog Barney and just go enjoy the key, which is so, it's, it's so important. It's so easy to get, you live right next to the beach. It's so easy to get wrapped up in everything else and forget to really enjoy where you are. So all around the country, not just here in Florida, we are seeing more and more women run for seats, you know, local, state, national level, all over. So could you talk about what that looks like from like inside the political arena. How are people who are already politicians, how are they responding to that movement? I'm so excited about the fact that women are stepping up and locally there's four House seats locally and there's three three out of the four the Democrat in the you know, that's running in the race is a woman. But when I got to Tallahassee, I guess I hadn't really conceptualized this either, but there's only 27 women in the Florida House out of 120 possible seats. And I was the newest member, and I'm a Democrat, which there's only 41 Democrats in the Florida House. So I sat in the last seat on the last row um, and had a great view of what was happening in front of me. And I spent a lot of time looking at the back of old bald guys heads and thinking <laughs> this is not representative of Florida. So I'm really happy that there's more women running. I, I think, you know, people say that this is the year of the woman. I certainly hope so. It would be so wonderful to have 40, 50 women in the state legislature. Let me, I, I might be stepping on somebody else's question here, but kind of following that up, what advice would you offer to someone who is hearing this and feeling inspired 
to to run for office? Do you have any generic advice? Because I'm sure there is a lot to be said. You should do it. It's a singular experience, and it's so worthwhile, and it's so needed. The, I mean, I think the first thing you do is go to your local party and talk to them, and then find, if you're a woman, every single state, I think, has a ruthless type of organization. Contact that organization because you need good infrastructure if you're going to run a good campaign and you need people that understand what that looks like. And so, and while I encourage every woman that's interested in running, you have to understand that you, that it is so much work. You have to be willing to do the work if you're going to, if you're going to win. And then I'll just piggyback off that question, Kristen. So for other women that are like, okay, I don't think I can sacrifice or I can't, I'm not at a point where I can do that. Or maybe I don't, I'm not quite ready to do that, but I do want to make a difference in other ways that are a little bit less public or time intensive. What advice can you give for them? What do you recommend they do? Get involved in other people's campaigns. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Before I ran, I got involved in my friend's campaign. He was running for city commission and he won and it was really exciting. And I thought that I had done a lot, but I just, I just helped organize a couple of meet and greets so that voters could get to know him. And that's, for me, that was a good way of bringing people together and being involved in a way that I felt comfortable with. But like I said, knocking on doors is one of the most powerful things you can do in a campaign. And it takes a lot of volunteers to have a strong field program. And so if you have ever thought that you might want to run for office, go knock on some doors. And you will be doing a lot of it as a candidate, and it's really good experience talking to voters, and it really helps. It really helps make the difference in the campaign. If you don't like knocking on doors, you can make phone calls. We had people from all over the country making phone calls into Sarasota, talking to Sarasota voters about how important this election was, and we ended up having the highest voter turnout of any special election in Florida. We had like 36% of the electorate turnout, which is a really, really good for a special election. And if you don't want to talk on the phone and you don't want to knock on doors or you're too far away, the other thing that that people did that made a difference was send postcards. So there's an organization called Postcards to Voters. There's another organization called Sister District, and they are from outside of my district. And they sent postcards to um, voters in my district. And I would go knock on somebody's door and they would say, oh, Margaret, good. I know you. And then they would run into their kitchen, open up their kitchen drawer, pull out this postcard from somebody in Michigan that had written a postcard saying this special election is happening and Margaret Good is who you should vote for. And they would show it to me and say, I got this handwritten postcard. And people like that just made a huge impression on people. So there's all sorts of things you can do um, within a campaign without having to be the the candidate. Well, well, speaking to that, so when you are canvassing for votes and you're knocking on doors and you're calling people and all that stuff, do you ever get nervous when you're approaching people? I mean, are you an extrovert by nature? I don't consider myself an extrovert, <laughs> but um, our friends would would beg to differ. But I am pretty bold. So no, I don't get nervous about it, but I know it's out of a lot of people's comfort zone. But I find people to be really receptive. They, especially in the political climate as it is right now, 
there's just so much that we all agree on that is not happening in Tallahassee or in Washington. So it's really hard. It's really easy to connect with people. And so I think this cycle especially makes it so easy. And I have found that the voters, like the normal everyday people like you and me, we, no matter what, if we're Republicans or Democrats or non-party voters, we all agree on certain things. But then if you look at what's happening in Tallahassee or Washington, it's the parties that that are dividing and are not doing what the actual people want them to do. And that's one of the reasons that I decided to run. And it's, and it's another, I mean, and it's the reason that I'm trying to stay so connected with the people in Sarasota. So I don't forget that that's what I'm supposed to be doing is the work that they're asking me to do. So when you are, you know, talking to, you know, constituents or other, you know, people who are um, serving in office and you guys do not agree on things, and I think we all, you know, face this, we've had, we have uncomfortable, you know, conversations about politics or, you know, just controversial things. Do you have any tips for navigating those conversations in a way that, that maintains a relationship or, or in some cases, is it just not, I mean, kind of like, what's your belief? Like, or is it just not? worth it you're just like well we're just, we just don't we don't agree are you able to try to always see the other side or how do you approach that so my dad was an episcopal priest and we spent our lives up until he retired not being political it was really important to him that nobody know if we were republicans or democrats because he really wanted to be able to serve everyone in his congregation and didn't want politics to get involved and so I think I just innately learned from my parents how to listen and, and, and not necessarily engage, which is helpful sometimes, but it, it was also an obstacle when I was first running for office because I was like, I'm not used to talking about this stuff in public. <laughs> my mother would never have let me do this when I was growing up. But I, you know, I think that sometimes, I mean, really, people just want to be listened to often and I, when I was having that town hall about gun violence and how the people in District 72 feel about what needs to happen in the legislature, overwhelmingly the people that showed up were supportive of my positions, which is to ban, ban assault weapons and um, to have universal background checks. Um, but there was one man in the audience that was brave enough to get up and speak and had a different viewpoint. And we... There were there were some people that were trying to heckle him, and I said no. That like the whole point of this is to listen to everybody, and that's that's what I try to do. I just try to listen. I don't try to argue. I just want to hear what people have to say. What's been the most surprising moment throughout this campaign and your work in office so far? I don't know. How about most exciting besides winning? Because we know that winning was the best. I do love winning, but you know, I was I, when I think about that night, I really want to have these memories of just being overwhelmingly excited about winning. But I was so tired that I don't really remember feeling like I do when I do really well in a race, you know, a, a running race or something like that. I just remember feeling so so tired. So one of the surprising things was was being recognized. So my campaign team kept on saying, 
you need to have TV ads. You need to have TV ads. And I kept on saying, I don't think we need TV ads. It's really expensive. And I mean, just seems, seems excessive. And, but you had to have TV ads because the other guy was having TV ads. So you're having TV ads. And once those commercials started airing, people recognized me everywhere. Like I was in the grocery store and people would come up and just hug me and shake my hand and say, you know, encourage me. And that was surprising. And, and probably some of the best moments were when I couldn't go anywhere without somebody saying, you're running. I can't wait to vote for you. Or, I, you know, I have your yard sign in my yard or whatever, whatever <laughs> connection they had with me. That was that was really, really empowering. You're really active on social media, and I want to give your Twitter handle is good for Florida, and that's where they can find you on Facebook as well. How do you find interacting with people on social media, especially now that you're political? You're a politician now. I, I sort of do the same thing on social media that I do as a representative. I, I mean, I put out things that I think are important to my district and things that resonate with the people in my district and the people in Florida. Um, and then I listen. I don't. I don't typically engage in back and forth because I don't. I don't. It's not the, the best venue, the best way for me to engage. But I love listening. I read. I read all of the comments and take uh, take things to heart. Now that you are, you know, a public figure, and I'm sure you still get recognized all over the place, everywhere you go. Have you? thought about or set any kind of like a boundary like okay here's where my personal life stops and here's where my public life begins have you had to navigate that yeah I'm terrible at it (laughs) Um, especially right now because you're because I'm a newly elected representative and I am campaigning again and then I also have an active law practice so I'm trying to balance a lot of things And I've just decided that I'm going all in again until November. I do, you know, I do the best I can as a friend and as a wife. I do the best I can as a lawyer. I do the best I can as a candidate and the best I can as a representative and just decide that, you know, I'll sleep later. Let's just, let's do this until November. And then, you know, once we win the election in November, then I think I'll be able to create some better, some better boundaries and, and do things a little bit differently. But right now I'm back to that focus of like, I want to win the election and I want to do, I want to be the very best representative I can be because there's so much room for growth and there's so much room to set the bar higher. One of the reasons I decided to run was because I didn't think that I was being represented very well. And so I want to be the type of representative that I want representing me. And that takes a lot of work because I have really high expectations. Um, so I'm just, I'm doing everything all the time. <laughs> that you are. I mean, I had to invite you on my podcast in order to talk to you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then we ask you all these personal questions as you're trying to navigate public and personal life. I'm like, tell us about your darkest, deepest feelings. Yes. Uh, <laughs> So, Margaret, what is the best piece of advice that you received going into this? I don't know if anybody gave me advice. Interesting. I, or maybe I wasn't listening, even though I'm talking about how great a listener I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did anyone I mean, 
or worst advice. I, I would take that too. I don't know. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you about this. When I first started running, I didn't know. Basically you're building a business, but you're also like building a brand and you have to go out and speak in public. There's all these things going on and, um, and you need a lot of guidance. So I had this great campaign team and we did a really good job. I thought of, of being disciplined, staying on message, doing the things that we, you know, that were in our plan and not getting distracted by my opponent or the naysayers, because especially at the beginning, when you're proving yourself as a candidate, everybody, that's, that's the key. Everybody has advice for you and everybody's criticizing you. You shouldn't be wearing this or you shouldn't be saying that. And, we spent a lot of time just saying, don't listen to the haters. We're staying in our lane. We'll keep on going forward. And by the end of the campaign, you know, all of the naysayers had, came, had come on board. They all believed in me and believed in the campaign. And I think it was because we stayed really disciplined from the very beginning in what we believed was the right message, what, what we believed was authentic to this district and to who I am as a person. So, so maybe that's it is that I did receive a lot of advice, but I actually did not listen to it because I was trying to listen to what, what my, that I was invested in was telling me to do. Well, we are so appreciative of your time that you gave us today because we know how busy you are, but we do have one more question we'd like to ask you if you, if that's okay. Okay. All right, mm -hmm. here we go. What was the last song you listened to before you did this podcast interview? Most Girls by Haley Seinfeld. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Margaret, thank you so much for being on the show today. You were fantastic. Oh, thank you all so much. This is so fun. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitboundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.